You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we celebrate the six-year history of the hit animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by going back and discussing each and every episode and episode arc. This is a big one. We are talking the Mortis trilogy this week. There's a lot here and we're going to try and get this done in a timely fashion but in an interesting fashion. So, joining me... Well, I should say my name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Kieran. Kieran, how are you this week? I am doing absolutely fantastic, thank you, Dominic, and I'll just have to echo those thoughts there. Cannot wait to divulge and dissect this trilogy. I think this is one of the most thought-provoking trilogies that has ever been on The Clone Wars, if there is anything that can actually better it. I, I, I don't know, but there is just so much to discuss, so let's get right into it. Yes, and joining us to help break it down, completing his trilogy of appearances, it is my co-host from the Star Wars Underworld podcast, and he does so much great stuff for the Star Wars Underworld and Channel 1138 and all kinds of good stuff. It's Chris Seiko. Chris, welcome back to the show. Oh yeah, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, This show is awesome. It's great that we're still talking about the Clone Wars, even though the series is over, because there's just so much. We just have to revisit it and watch it again and again, and I think... uh, that this arc right here is a microcosm of the whole series. It's just absolutely fantastic and so deep, and I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, Karen, let's let's get started. Uh, do you have the episode descriptions for us this week? Yeah, okay, I got the episode descriptions here, Dominic. Overlords, we'll start off with Overlords. A mysterious force draws Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka to a distant planet and its inhabitants, a family of exceptionally powerful force wielders, in an attempt to determine whether Anakin is truly the chosen one. The patriarch of this family, known as the father, has maintained the balance for countless years between his daughter, who is strong with the light side of the force, and his son, who aligns with the dark, Next, Altar of Mortis. Before the Jedi can leave Mortis, the son takes Ahsoka captive in an attempt to entice Anakin into joining him to use their combined strength to overpower his father and sister. To this end, the son casts Ahsoka under the spell of the dark side. Meanwhile, the father attempts to stave off a disastrous showdown between his children and maintain the Force's increasingly precarious balance on the planet and finally ghosts of mortis the jedi remain stranded on mortis and the sun aligned with the dark side of the force renews his efforts to convert anakin as the jedi prepare for a decisive confrontation anakin is stunned by images of his dark future the sun promises him the power to avert his destiny yeah all right these episodes uh were just incredible i remember the first time these things aired they they were built up as they would 
explore the force like never before and i really really think they did let's let's just jump right into it let's talk about the setting for these episodes which is mortis and you know at the beginning of of overlords they approach mortis and it appears to be this just kind of big pyramid or some people compared it to a holocron just kind of floating out there in space and it's kind of blocking them off from blocking Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka off from Rex and, and all the other troopers on the Republic shut, uh, the Republic cruiser there. And then they enter it, and, you know, there's a big flash of light, and they're, they've safely, somehow, landed on this planet. And then the father describes it as, as they had to exist outside the temporal world. So, is this, is Mortis in the galaxy, or is it something outside the galaxy, or is it just a vision? Um, Chris, I'll throw that to you first. Okay, so the easiest way to um, explain something like this is, let's say that um, you live in a two-dimensional world, like you're a cartoon character, and you live in a world that's a cube, but you're only on one face of the cube. When they go to Mortis, they're like inside the cube. That's the best way I can explain that with physics. So it's the same thing, but it's in a different dimension, a greater dimension. And so it feels like you're outside it, but it's almost like you're, you're, you're just experiencing more of it. Interesting, interesting. Kieran, what do you think? I don't think I could describe it much better than uh, Chris has done now. I, yeah, that, that's definitely the, a, a great way to actually explain what this is because the beings that we'll, we'll get on to talk about, the father, the son, and the daughter – they're all transcendent from the Jedi and the Sith. They're, they're much more than that, which is exactly what the Father states. Um, and as we see throughout these episodes, there is so much evidence to illuminate and demonstrate this fact that they are just higher beings. I guess it's equivalent, perhaps in our universe, to a god, a deity-like figure, and that's what these are, but... That, that they seem to to be manifesting themselves. Well, it's a manifestation of the Force is what these beings are, but the light side of the Force is manifested in the daughter and the dark side with the son, and, and, and the father seems to be the figure that is putting them into balance. So I, it, it's really, really intriguing, but it touches upon so many big themes in this particular arc. And as I said, I think Chris has summed it up succinctly enough there with, with the cube analogy. Yeah, what right. What about yourself, Dominic? Definitely. Oh, and I'll just interject quickly. Oh. One question that I think a lot of people have about this, and I think we'll talk about this as we talk about the episode and see if there's evidence leaning one way or the other as we talk about each element of the episode, is whether what's going on here is then causing galactic events to happen like this this is the source and everything's echoing this or if it's the other way around if everything inside this world is kind of a reflection of what's going on in the star wars universe and so what what is the metaphor what is real what is not real and that's something that is really open for interpretation so i'm interested in looking at each element of this episode and saying does it fit one way or the other Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's something I've sort of thought about because, you know, when you look at this trilogy, on the one hand, it does kind of almost match up in certain places sort of as beat for beat with what happens in the Star Wars story overall. You know, there's with 
you know, the characters are going to the dark side, coming back. You know, it's the character that comes back from the dark side that is able to ultimately bring balance. And, you know, we, and it raises the question of what is balance of the force. And, and balance of the force is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially as it relates to the sequel trilogy. And, and we're not, I don't want to turn this into a discussion about episode seven, although something that was brought up in this episode definitely, uh, made me rethink a certain rumor from a while from a while back then and maybe i'll write something for the website for that but we won't, won't talk about that here because this is about it's about clone wars um but you know the father seems to think that the prophecy that balance of the force means that anakin has to stay in mortis and control the the daughter and the son and take his place basically and he never he but we sort of know that is that enough? Like, do is Anakin? If Anakin had have stayed, would he have kept the Force in balance? Would the Clone Wars have ended? And this is sort of what Chris is saying: it is is what's going on here? Does it actually impact what's going on in the galaxy? Because the way things end, you know, the father seems to think that it's bad news for the galaxy. But is it really? Because we get back to the galaxy and, and things seem pretty normal until a certain certain Sith Lord returns in the form of Darth Maul. And, and I'm kind of rambling here because I'm, I'm curious uh, to what you guys think about this. Um, is the father right? Is balance of the force directly related to Mortis or can someone bring balance to the force from within the known galaxy? Um, Kieran, what do you think? I think it's possible, and as Chris has said, and as both of you have said, actually, there are so many interpretations to this. So, you know, what my theory is is going to be can be completely different to somebody else's. But I see this as representing not just a foreshadow, but a microcosm of what is about to come. If you take it and break it down, as we're going to do now, um, Anakin goes to the dark side in this realm or parallel universe or whatever you want to call it. I, I, it's not, parallel universe isn't the right term there, but um, Anakin turns to the dark side as he does in episode three and he becomes Darth Vader. We see that actually manifest in the ghost of Mortis. But then at the end, Anakin goes back to the light side and he actually manages to rebalance the force through stabbing the sun and then ultimately um oh yeah by by stabbing the sun and as a result of that he is obviously bringing balance to the force but it's the same principle because if you if you think that the the sun represents the sith and the ultimate sith master is palpatine well that's exactly what darth vader does in episode six he chucks palpatine off that lit well so far as we know maybe that this could be completely different if episode six and suddenly um, alters everything here and Palpatine comes back somehow. But for, for all intents and purposes, Palpatine's gone. And so Anakin has successfully rebalanced the Force. And that's what he does in the Mortis trilogy. The, the, the light side of the Force is cast away. The daughter is killed off by the dark side, which is represented by the sun. And then ultimately, uh, the dark side prevails for a time, but then Anakin is able to reestablish the, the balance of the force through 
removing the dark side and it's really complicated but you can see how anakin through parts of that uh, ghost of mortis episode is subservient to the sun the same way that darth vader is subordinate to the emperor mm-hmm. and so you can see the parallels are, are, are fundamentally clear and it seems to follow a similar traje- trajectory to the events that take place throughout episodes three to six in that way the more i think i'm leaning towards that argument because i genuinely can see how these events have influenced the events in the star wars galaxy so i'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that but also just your thoughts in general i mean i don't know whether that was a necessarily coherent argument but i'm 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 just demonstrating the fact illustrating the fact that there are parallels between what happens in mortis and what happens in the star wars universe well you bring up you bring up balance of the force and this is what i'm wondering about in this episode because the father seems to think that balance can only be achieved with light and dark uh, both existing that and the son seems to think this as well you know there can't be light without darkness and and there is this kind of thought that this is what happens but at the end of this episode, it almost is, seems that balance is achieved by wiping out light and dark, that neither can exist. And that raises the question for me, uh, did Anakin actually bring balance to the Force? Because he only wiped out the dark side. The light side still existed in the form of Luke Skywalker. And so Luke still exists, but there isn't a dark side that still exists. Or, or there isn't a manifestation of the dark side, whether it's Palpatine or Vader, they're gone. But the light side still is there. And so is that actually in balance? And th- these episodes seem to call this into question. And so, Chris, I'll ask you, what do you think balance the force is? Well, is- um, first of all, let's let's define the force. That's that's an energy field. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't get rid of the force. Um, as far as the dark side and the light side goes, it's it's the way that people with free will use the force and what emotions they use to call on the force. If they're coming from a place of peace and serenity, then it's the light side. And if they're coming from a place of anger and aggression, it's the dark side. And so when you're talking about the light side and the dark side of the force and balancing it, what you're really doing is not balancing the force itself, but you're balancing the people that are calling on the force. And when there's imbalance in that, it, it seems that um, there's chaos in the galaxy. And that can happen both ways, with the light or the dark side becoming too powerful. Um, I think the prequel trilogy was about, about the force being out of balance in the opposite way where the light side was completely powerful to the point that the Jedi kind of um, became lethargic and didn't really, they, they, as Yoda said, they, they, they became proud. And, and I think because the light side needs to be approached from a place of humility, I think that that's not a, a good way for, you know, it wasn't stable. And because of that, the dark side ended up coming in and then completely shifting everything with Order 66. Nearly all the Jedi were killed off. The Sith, a Sith Lord was put in control of the galaxy. And then after that chaos, things were imbalanced in the opposite way, 
where there was no one leading the events of the galaxy using the tenets of the light side of the force, but there, of course, was leadership with the dark side led through fear. And then it's imbalanced the other way. And I think that that kind of um, that view of the Star Wars saga as a whole is kind of corroborated by the Mortis trilogy in the sense that at the beginning, when things seem to be balanced, there's both dark and light. There's both the sun and the daughter. And it doesn't seem like either of them have the upper hand. So that's kind of how I view balance is I, I think it's about there being an equal amount of both to the point where there is harmony and that and I don't know exactly how that would look like in the Star Wars universe because I don't know if we've necessarily seen it. Maybe the closest thing, like you said, Dominic, might be the absence of powerful players in the Force, like the situation that happened after Return of the Jedi when you have really just Luke Skywalker and that's it. There's no Jedi Order, but then there's no Sith Rule 2 anymore as well. And it will be interesting to see that that, that that might be a story that there still needs to be more told about that and more explained about that, and maybe that's why there's new films coming. Yeah, that, that's definitely that's definitely interesting. Although I, I I do agree with what you said there. There's balance is is closest at the end of Jedi. I still don't think it's been quite achieved. I still think that Luke Skywalker tips the scales towards the light side. We're still not quite balanced. Maybe. Yeah, that, that's sort of where, where, I, where I see well, it. Well, one, one thing before you continue is I just had this thought quickly. Um, there's this saying that the line between good and evil goes through every man. Maybe the balance between the light side and the dark side goes through every person. And as long as there's a person with free will, there's an opportunity for it to be balanced or un- unbalanced just inside that own person's head and heart. Interesting. That, that, that is an interesting, interesting theory. Um, Kieran, do you want to weigh in on all this? Yeah, I, I, I well, the point that you just raised there, Chris, is is very interesting because uh, at one point I was thinking, well, if you think if the Force is manifested in just the Sith and the Jedi, which now you've clarified that I I don't see it as, then it would be even more balanced because you've got two Sith and uh, uh, well, Yoda, Obi Wan, and Luke for all intents and purposes, which is close enough to being balanced, I guess. But if you're talking about how it manifests through people, then obviously the Empire is wielding all of these stormtroopers and uh, Imperial officers all for the Sith's end. So in that respect, then it clearly is unbalanced. In terms, Also, in terms of Luke Skywalker, it's, it remains to be seen whether he is technically light side akin to what the jedi was because obviously the uh, luke skywalker has tendencies of well again this is open to interpretation whether he has this dichotomy of both light and dark side within him um and whether as a result that he perhaps is a personification of the balance of the force again that's uh, open to interpretation i don't necessarily agree with that but it's just uh, a theory perhaps um but weighing in as well on the on the fact that in Mortis, the the son and the daughter, they see. It seems that the uh, the appearance of both of those two, or the fact that they're both um, animated, they're alive, is supposed to represent the balance of the Force. Um, yet in the Altar of Mortis episode, 
around the beginning point, the father makes the point when he's talking with the, with his son that he's grown very powerful and that he may not be able to contain him, even though the daughter is still alive. And perhaps that's being influenced by events in the galaxy that it's clear that the Sith's power is growing. And in that respect, that would indicate that that these beings are drawing power and influence from events in the galaxy and not vice versa, perhaps. Um, Again, I I seem to be sitting on the fence in a lot of this because I just want to kind of throw ideas in in the fire here because there is so many here. There, there, there's so also you... there's also the possibility of symbiosis. I mean, you if if one can lead the other, then perhaps they can both happen in unison as well. Just like for instance, if someone's moving and you see their shadow in the background, you're, they're both kind of moving at the same time. It's like one. It, does it really matter which one's real and which one's the shadow? There's both. There's movement with both. So it's it, it's possible that, that that these things just happen in unison, or you're seeing the same thing from a different perspective. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I like I like the idea. I like the the shadow image there. That you know, one is it, it, that they're both happening, but they're sort of one is kind of the cause of the other, or or they're just happening in unison. I, I like I like that idea. It's a, it's an interesting interesting theory because Mortis is just so out there and, and and Dave Filoni said you know you have to treat everything like it's the cave on Dagobah and as we know from Luke's experience in the cave on Dagobah you know that's it's reflective of what's inside of him but it's not necessarily reflective of what is going to happen so you know the sun gaining power may be reflective of you know perhaps the the increase in the power of the dark side of the force, whether that's just Palpatine moving his plot forward, or perhaps it has something to do with the return of Maul. Um, there's potential there for, for, for lots of reasons for that to be the case for the sun to be growing powerful, or he could just be growing powerful. They've been there for what, what the fathers say, you know, thousands of years, the, the Jedi code is 2000 or the, the, yeah, the emergency code is 2000 years old it's it's a it leaves a, a lot of questions and you know th- the fact that they're calling out now is is due to the fact that they've heard of Anakin that the chosen one may have been found and how did they find that <laughs> that out was this do they is does the father sort of still have have ways of of tapping into what's going on into the in the regular galaxy uh is does he have ways of seeing that there's lots of you know almost night sister type stuff going on on yeah. mortis that you know mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be too far out of the realm of possibility which just to slightly go back to to what we were talking about last week with with night sister magic and what is it at this to me and everything that we see here and plus some of what we see in the yoda arc arc later on just completely clarifies in my mind that night sister magic is definitely just a a way of wielding the force not a completely separate thing but that's neither here nor there for right now um one thing that i, I thought was interesting is, is one of the visuals in this episode is as anakin is is controlling the the son and the daughter and he's doing the you know the on your knees moment the sky the sky goes from being very light to being dark it almost it goes from day to night just like that and i'm wondering you know maybe i'm just reading too much into this but i'm wondering is is that supposed to be symbol symbolism of that Anakin is achieving balance by going dark. It, it seems to be counterintuitive, but it, is that perhaps 
what the show is is telling us that that to achieve balance of the force the dark side is needed is um i i would say so because um again it it, it makes sense that that you'd be able to use either side to achieve balance i mean if you're considering both of them to be kind of two sides of the same coin and if you were to look at return of the jedi with that mindset you could almost say that Darth Vader was the one, Anakin was the one, to kill the Emperor so that Luke didn't have to go to the dark side to achieve balance. And then he could be left, you know, still on, on the light side, still having sacrificed or, or being willing to sacrifice himself um, without having to have blood on his hands to achieve balance. Whereas if it was Luke that then gave into his hate and then defeated Darth Vader and defeated the Emperor like the Emperor was goading him to, then there may still have been balance, but you would have end up, ended up with Luke possibly having done irreversible damage to himself. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting theory. Uh, Kieran, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, in terms of what you were saying, Dominic, about the Anakin situation, and uh, yeah, very good points there as, as well, Chris. I, I agree with pretty much what you said there. But in terms of the uh, the Anakin, I mean, it has to go to the dark side in order to rebalance the Force. Um, of course, we, we've defined that now. Um, I think this is backed that he that he, he does have to do this. I mean backed by the last episode in The Ghost of Mortis when he talks to Qui-Gon in the... Oh, what's that place called again? You know, the one where he's with the father and the, 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 well. the daughter's burial? Oh. Um, is, is it, then that's the, not the well of the dark side. Oh, it's, it's, it seems the to be monastery? just a, a neutral place. The monastery, yeah. Um, well, he talks with Qui-Gon's spirit, and Qui-Gon says... That there is a place not far from here that is strong in the dark side. You must go there. Remember your training, Anakin. Anakin travels to the well of the dark side. He then turns to the dark side and then he reverts back to the light side. And that's when he obviously kills the sun. In that mind, I can see that as is really embodying what Anakin's journey is in the episodes three to episode six. When he goes to the dark side, he becomes Darth Vader. And then as a way of rebalancing the force. He kills the emperor. And then again, well, it's argued again, we're interpreting whether um, he actually has rebalanced the force or re restored the balance of the force. We're not so sure about that because obviously we only have Luke Skywalker left, but for all intents and purposes, he, he hit the footsteps here mirror what he does in episode six. Um, is, so in that respect, I think he does have to go to the dark side in order to reassert um, both light and dark, yeah. or in this case, remove both. <laughs> okay, so 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 what you're saying is you have to. Ex and I think this is what you're both saying is you have to experience the 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 light and the dark in, in order to achieve balance, and that's why it's it's Anakin that brings balance to the Force, not Luke. Yeah. There it is. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think that's that's a a, a very uh, that's a, an excellent reading of of not only these episodes but the saga itself. Well, let's talk a bit, little bit about Anakin in these episodes. Specifically at the beginning, he describes the chosen one as being a myth. 
So Anakin, despite what he was told and probably, you know, he, what he was told when he was young that, you know, he, he was the chosen one, you know, Qui-Gon kept telling him this in the time since episode one, he's sort of, he doesn't believe it. He has given up on this theory. He, is this just Anakin, Anakin's impatience showing, showing itself? Or is there perhaps sort of a, a whole, or perhaps is there a reason for it? Is, is there a reason that he doesn't think that he is the chosen one? Is, is it have, does it have something to do with, you know, maybe he was trained not to think of himself as, as, as a special. Maybe this is his training coming through. Is the fact that Anakin thinks is a chosen, is the chosen one. He isn't the chosen one. What is, what does that tell us about him? Um, Kieran, what do you think? I, I think it tells you as, as far as Anakin's character goes, again, it's obvious for our episodes one and two that he is, He's very, he has, um, well, he has issues, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll know that much when it comes to his relationships, particularly with his, his, his mother and um, and uh, Padme. But he's very insecure as an individual, is, is the word I was looking for there. Because I, he understands that he has the, this potential. I think part of his mind, he just wants to shut it out. Because he must, in his heart of hearts had this self-conscious thought at least or um, talk, talk to himself where he's thought, yeah, I, I am the chosen one because surely when Qui-Gon is in the council chamber in episode one and he's talking with Yoda and uh, Mace and all the other council members who don't say anything, then <laughs> Qui-Gon is insisting that Anakin is the chosen one. He must be trained. And Anakin at su- such a young age, that must be surely indoctrinated at some point in his mind that he's thinking, yes, I am the chosen one. We don't know again what happens between episode one and two, and you might be right, perhaps it's not really alluded to that much, because obviously after Qui-Gon's death, people are trying to hush it up, so to speak. But I'm not surprised that he's proclaiming himself not being the chosen one at this point. I don't think he wants to have that responsibility. He sees it more as a burden, and he it seems as though the, the whole galaxy and the Jedi are counting on him to resolve the Clone War. And as we as I keep repeating, but it is, it is the crux of this arc, restoring the balance of the Force. And I think that's something which inherently Anakin just doesn't want to believe. So in that respect, I can believe the fact that Anakin is self-sabotaging himself in such a way that he proclaims, I'm not the chosen one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it, it kind of surprised me when when that, when that he said that. It, it kind of, to me, th- th- threw me off because I would have thought that that is something that Anakin would embrace. We know that Anakin, you know, or in, in episode three, I think it's in episode three, Palpatine says to him, ever since I've known you, you've been seeking a life unlike that of an ordinary Jedi. And you would think that that is due to the fact that he thinks he's the chosen one. And as a result, he bears this extra burden. And the fact that he is just being a, a regular Jedi sort of leads him to think, well, am I the chosen one? Am I, am I really the chosen one? And it causes resentment towards the Jedi because he thinks he is. He, he's been told he is. And they're just treating him like everyone else. And, you know, and that's why he, 
you know, he wants to be a master. He wants to be on the council before he's ready. And, and, you know, Palpatine gives that to him. And that's, of course, Palpatine's manipulation. And so when he doesn't get to be a master, he again feels slighted as in, in that, you know, he is, he, he, he knows he's the chosen one. He believes he's the chosen one. And they're not respecting him as the chosen one. He, I think Anakin wants to be, you know, carried around like a king, like held up as he is going to be the savior for our galaxy. Um, and when he's not getting that, perhaps he starts to think it's not true. It's not true. Or he's maybe he's been taught to think it's not true. I don't know. Um, Chris, yeah. what, what do well, you think? I, I think what's going on here is there there's a difference um, between controlling your own destiny and believing that you're in control or at least wanting to believe that you're in control and letting go and letting your destiny just happen. I think the idea of the chosen one kind of fits more with the latter one, that, that something else or somebody else is choosing you and you have a purpose and you have to fall in line with that. And if you don't, then you're going to have chaos in your life because you're not following your chosen path. I think Anakin has proven, especially in the prequels, to be someone who wants to control his own destiny. He he can't let things go. That's one of his greatest character flaws. Whenever something happens that is out of his control that he disagrees with, like the death of his mother or the impending death of his wife, he wants to, to change it, and he wanted to do everything possible humanly possible to do that and so i think the reason why he's rejecting the idea of the chosen one is that's just another way for the universe to say or the force to say you're not in control of your own life you have a a purpose that's almost like preordained and i think that's why he's brushing that label off as 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 just a myth because it it would mean that he's not in control it would mean that he doesn't have the power himself to become the greatest Jedi like he wants so that he can move heaven and earth and control life and death himself. Right. And, and we, we see that he, he has this power you know, in these episodes. He, he clearly has that power. And, and that's an interest, interesting idea what you're saying there, Chris, is it's kind of Anakin's story is kind of the opposite of the reluctant hero. You know, in other stories and in, in a lot of other stories that we're familiar with, whether it's, you know, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, we have these characters who who don't want this burden thrust upon them. And it's kind of thrust upon them to they have to be the hero for their world when that's not really something they wanted. With Anakin, you almost get the sense that he wants to be the hero. Like you said, he wants to have this power. He wants to be the greatest Jedi of all time. And He's, but it has to be seeking. him. It yes. has to be. It can't be a destiny that's preordained. I, I draw parallels here to um, the the Matrix films. If any of our listeners have seen that, if not, you need to watch it because they're fantastic films. And there's a lot of parallels between Mortis and those films in a lot of ways. And the main character protagonist of that, his name's Neo, and he also is labeled the chosen one in that universe. Same words, just like Anakin. And Neo doesn't believe he's the chosen one when everyone around him believes it. And it's his own self-doubt that is is the one thing that's impeding him, and he has to overcome that towards the end. And I think it's very similar with Anakin. You have a lot of people around him, if not everyone, saying that he's the chosen one, yet he doesn't believe it himself, either because he's afraid of letting go 
of his own destiny and and letting something greater than himself control him or or for another reason i think it is clear that that he is rejecting that yeah yeah he, he's I, I yeah I I really like what you're saying there that you know people are saying he's the chosen one he's the chosen one and he wants to prove himself as some as you know the most powerful Jedi but he doesn't want it with that with that um, moniker he he just wants to be able he wants people to look at him and say wow there's Anakin Skywalker great Jedi not wow there's Anakin Skywalker the chosen one he had these these powers put upon him right and yeah all right that. It, that's very interesting. Um, and, and let's let's move on a little bit and, and kind of get into the second episode a little bit and, and talk about the sun. At the beginning of the episode, we see Anakin have this dream where he comes face to face with the sun. And the sun says that they will destroy the Jedi and the Sith. He wants to um, change the balance of the galaxy. It, it's almost as if, you know, the sun seems to to want the opposite of what everybody else wants. Everybody else seems to want balance of the force. The sun wants to have all the power leaning his way. Um, and, and then, and to do that, he has to destroy the Jedi and the Sith. And he says that there can't be light, light, light and dark, uh, as if there is one without the other. So the sun here, I, I, he is, you know, he's trying to drive this this alternate idea, which is, you know, ultimately would lead to destruction. Again, to draw some of those parallels between uh, what's going on in Mortis and what's going on in the galaxy, the sun is almost is is almost trying to do what Palpatine was trying to do, um, and and get the dark side to be stronger. And it, it raises the question: Can there can there ever be? an extended period of time, and I mean more than, you know, 20, 25 years, where the force is out of balance, where someone like Palpatine or the sun could be in power for so long. Uh, Kieran, I'll throw it to you. Is is this possible? Is it possible for one side to be completely in power? Um, or is, is, there a, is there always going to be somebody trying to achieve balance? That's, that's a very interesting question you raised there. I I think that there's still more answers that need to be revealed to us to actually to, to glean from that because I think because we're touching upon such a huge topic here, in actual fact, it's so big that it almost makes the <laughs> the stories from episode one to episode six seem just like a small case study really because we need to see a longer time span where all we have seen there is one example of the dark side overcoming the light and then seemingly the light overcoming the dark but we need to see whether this is a recurring theme and then i think we'd be able to answer that question you've raised there in terms of the sun there to me he seems to be um or vice versa, uh, in terms of Palpatine, they seem to be an embodiment of each other. And I think, well, well more so, uh, the son of, and the embodiment of, um, of Palpatine, in the sense that he wants power, um, <clears throat> he wants omnipotent power for himself. He doesn't want to share it with anyone, the same way that Palpatine doesn't want to share it with his, any of his uh, apprentices. And, and that's also demonstrated by the fact that you see, or you hear, I should say, that 
Palpatine voice coming through when he says that we will destroy the Sith and the Jedi. I can't really do a Palpatine voice, but point is, uh, I, I think in that respect that the parallels between those two characters are ever clearer. And although the son doesn't manage to get off world and exact his will on the universe, I think that through Palpatine, we can have a glimpse into what the son would have enacted had he succeeded. Palpatine wants everything for himself. Of course, he has Vader there as an apprentice because he realizes he cannot run the galaxy by himself. And I guess that's something that's a little bit different is that the son is just saying, we're going to, we're going to destroy everyone. We're going to kill the Sith and the Jedi. And so that, that's, that's an interesting point there, but. I realized that I've probably deviated from the point that you asked earlier, but uh, when I was saying that I, I don't think, I think we need to learn more. We need to, we need to see events in the old Republic and we need to see events post empire, re, uh, post return of the Jedi. If we are really to ascertain whether, um, you know, whether your point, the theory that you've raised there is actually apt. Right. And and I would say um, that I think it is probably cyclical. I mean, just looking at the the house, the history of Star Wars was laid out um, previously, and of course now that that most of it's not canon anymore, they could go in a different direction. But I mean, from everything we've seen in the history of Star Wars, um, the expanded universe, it seems that there have been repeated times where where the light side or the dark side have kind of been the dominant power and it's kind of just gone back and forth and balance ha- has needed to be um reachieved and equilibrium needs to be reachieved um over and over and over again which makes sense it's like almost the cycle of day and night you know in a planetary rotation it's the same kind of idea of just a, a natural changing between one and the other repeatedly and indefinitely and then going back to just the original question about um about the sun and how he perceives the force and the dark side and the light side. I think while we see the force as like the light side and the dark side as two sides of the same coin, you have the force and you have two ways to draw upon it. I think that both sides see each other as the corruption of the true and most, uh, the, the purest form of the force. I think the Jedi see the purest form of the force as the light side, as letting go a uh, very kind of like Buddhist view of things and that any aggression, any attempt to control things and um, draw on one's own desires and anger is a corruption of the truth, is a corruption of the of the of the of the true nature of the force. And I think the Sith view it exactly the opposite. The Sith view the light side as just kind of like a cheap version of the force that you don't you don't you don't get full access to it it's just a narrow window it's a passive a passive stance to to, to just use the light side of the force and you, you can't really do anything with it it's a useless tool in the grand scheme of things if you're just passively following the will of the force like so many jedi you know preach to do Whereas the Sith view, the full power of the Force is using it as a tool rather than it using you as a tool. It's 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 calling on it to get what you want and do what you want. It's very hedonistic, and it makes sense then that people who 
are ambitious like Palpatine and want to rule the entire galaxy, they're going to subscribe to that dark side view because it, it fits in with their own personal goals and desires. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I absolutely see where you're coming from with that. And and just uh, to to answer my, my own question there about, you know, can there be, you know, can there be an extended period where the light side or, or the dark side is is the sole existence? I I think that even though, as Kieran said, you know, we we haven't seen the you know the you know, quote unquote true versions of of what has happened long before and long after the you know the the saga. Uh, the Skywalker saga, we should say, um, we do sort of know from what is alluded to in the films and and in material surrounding the films that even when it seems one side is totally in power, um, you know, when it seemed that the Jedi were totally in power, the, or the light side, we should say, were totally in power in the prequel trilogy or in the time leading up to the prequel trilogy, the dark side was still there. It was it was small and it was taking its time to rise up to power in the form of Darth Bane and the rule of rule of two and all that. And then when the dark side was fully in power with Palpatine and the empire, the light side still existed in the form of Obi-Wan and Yoda and and Luke and Leia and and Kanan and and people like that, that they were forced into hiding and they were definitely the weaker point, but they still existed. And and so, you know, as he says, there, there can't be one without the other. Right. But, uh, you know, as, as you said, it's, it's all about how you use it. And, and, and there's there's a piece of symbolism in these episodes and in, in that arena in Overlords, the first episode, there's the yin yang yeah. symbol. And you have basically it's like a circle and it's divided in two with a little wavy line and one side's the dark and one side's the light. But yet inside the dark section there's like a little circle, a little seed of light. And inside the light section, there's a little dark circle inside that, kind of to symbolize that even in the dominance of the light, there's the seed of dark, and in the dominance of the dark, there's the seed of light. And you have that in Star Wars, where when the light side and the Jedi Order is also so powerful, you have those little seeds of dark, like Count Dooku and like Anakin sitting, waiting to rise. And then... In the dark side, you have Vader with that little seed of light, that little bit of compassion that he has for his son that ends up throwing things out of whack for the dominance of the dark side ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. You could even make the case that perhaps before Vader, perhaps Dooku had that little seed in him. Right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that existed. Um, let's, let's talk about Ahsoka because in this episode we see her under the influence of the sun. And she says some very interesting things. You know, she doesn't like to be called snips. She doesn't feel that Anakin ever fully trusts her. And, and I'm wondering how much of that is the son's influence and how much of that is just her, you know, finally speaking her mind. Is is she under the son's control completely or has the son just manipulated her mind so that she has embraced the dark side and she's speaking for herself i mean there are times you know where we see the sun is controlling her that which makes me wonder uh you know which makes me lean more towards the sun is controlling her but then there are times you know she's speaking in fairly specific terms about you know hating being called snips and, and things like that where you know perhaps is the sun going into her memories and being able to draw them out um chris what do you think 
Um, I, I think what's going on there is when she's under the influence of the sun and the dark side, she is just tapping into the selfish side of her. She's just she, herself. Like she's just thinking about what she wants, and she's the the idea that there are other people and that you have to there needs to be a balance um is gone at this point because i think ultimately that's one of the main differences between the dark and the light side of the force the dark side of the force is completely selfish it's all about what i want whereas the light side is about achieving a balance between um all human beings so they can all live in harmony and get a little bit of they want but they still need to make sacrifices too in order to make that happen and i think that since the sun is like a microcosm or a personification of the dark side, then anything he's controlling and touching, they're going to be tapping into the selfish side of their own personalities. And I think that's what you're seeing there as she is being controlled by the sun. The only part of her brain and memories and desires that are active are her selfish ones. And that's why she's saying things like that. Yeah, and then the daughter says as much, you know, that her nature and her being the personification of the light side is selfless and his nature is selfish. Uh, um, Karen, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the thesis that you two have utilized and, and uh, coined, which I think is I, – I totally agree with those. When you you talked about the yin-yang yin yang circle when you have the light and the dark, but there's that little bit of dark in the light side. There's that little bit of – in the, in the dark side and i think this is a little bit of dark in ahsoka the potential is there and what the the sun has done has activated it and been able to manipulate it in such a way that ahsoka has transpired and materialized as, as a form of the dark side really or her dark side self her dark side persona because you also if you look at the the visuals of Ahsoka turning to the dark side, it's like an infection, like a disease that has suddenly emerged. And it's something that I think is innate in her character. And what's drawn upon that is through the sun activating it. And as Chris, you rightly said, it's probably drawn upon memories or at least uh, characteristics of herself where she has been selfish. And these are probably thoughts that when she says that, um, yeah, uh, are you, proud of me master those are actually thoughts even when she was when she was light that were probably just pushed down but once uh, the dark side actually comes out then suddenly they all seem to explode out of her and and it goes to show that she does have the these inherent concerns and anxieties which is probably the same for all jedi but they just don't they don't come to the surface whereas when ahsoka has turn to the dark side it does and it comes out in this brute force hatred anger for her master and for jedi in general so i think in in terms of the question you're asking there i think that it's an inherent an inherent part of her and potential that she can turn to the dark side was was materialized through the manipulation of the sun Definitely. And, and a couple of points here. Uh, for, firstly, one thing I think we haven't discussed a lot in terms of the dark side is also the role that fear plays in things. I mean, a Anakin, of course, one of the reasons why he turned to the dark side is he was afraid of losing people he was close to. He was afraid of not being in control. And here you have this brought up. Well, maybe Ahsoka has a fear that her master doesn't approve of her. 
And so I think this, I think that with, that's with a good, good point. reason. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point, Karen. That that some of the mechanics that's going on here is the son might actually be taking these fears and then using them to control her psychologically by making them the dominant thoughts that are in her head, and she's just acting based upon these things that she's forgotten about all the you know all the good thoughts, all the times that 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 Anakin you know. was willing to sacrifice himself for her and she's just thinking about the times where she had doubt and fear herself and so i think that that probably plays definitely a big role and then another thing is this reminds me a lot of um other episodes written by the uh, same writer um that deal with yoda and his personal dark side later at the end of this series and i think there's some parallels to be drawn between that confrontation um, towards the end of the series, and then Ahsoka here. Yeah, and and what what Karen said there about uh, you know, and and what you said before as well, Chris, about you know the the you know the imagery of there is there's a circle of of light inside the dark, and there's a circle of dark inside the light. And you mentioned the Yoda confrontation from the from the Yoda arc in season six, and and you know it seems as though for everybody there that exists except one person. Palpatine. We have yet to see the circle of light in Palpatine. And I think maybe there isn't one. And maybe that's what makes Palpatine so scary and what makes him so deadly is that there isn't one. Maybe he's the exception to the rule um, in this scenario. Because we've seen it. You know, we Obviously, Anakin has it. We see Yo- ah- Ahsoka has it. We see Yoda has it. We see Obi-Wan has it. I mean, you know, in the season four finale, when obi-wan is fighting darth maul he taps into the dark side a little bit you know and and maul kind of mocks him for it and and it there's definitely this this sense that it exists within all of them except palpatine palpatine and and everybody says about palpatine you know george has said this felonia said this that, that he is evil personified that palpatine is just pure evil and that i think that's what makes him so scary i think that i think we've sort of by having this discussion and that symbolism there have sort of sort of hit on the point about Palpatine that makes him so scary. And I'll give you guys a chance to respond to that if, if you like, but I do want to um, go back to Ahsoka in just a second because I want to talk about that vision that she had. But if, if you guys want to respond to this theory, uh, please feel free now. I think, I, think, I think if it's possible for Anakin to be birthed into the universe – somehow by conceived by the will of the force to bring balance to it then it's also possible for the dark side of the force and whatever whatever the sun exemplifies to have maybe an immaculate conception of its own to birth pure evil into the universe i i think that's a a valid possibility yeah Yeah, i would agree with that and there's another thing that we don't really know about Mortis, and that's timeline. We don't actually know uh, not only whether these events are the, the term that you use was it symbiotic, uh, symbiosis? Yes. I think it was. Yes, uh, between these two uh, different dimensions, we don't know how much of what's happening in Mortis is having an effect on the universe, and when it's having an effect. Perhaps when the sun has exerted his authority and his power after he's killed the daughter. Perhaps that's when something like Palpatine has then been conceived because it's just this pure manifestation of dark side force, which has just been unleashed. And 
that may well have caused such a rupture as to bring about some an individual equivalent to Sheev, <laughs> equivalent <laughs> to Sheev, who has been brought to the galaxy. And as you've said, Dominic, is this exemplification of evil? I mean, there's so many questions. I mean, we're talking about the answers that we're trying to glean from this, but there's so many more questions to this, which is what's great about Star Wars. But the, the more that I watch that Filoni featurette, the more it aggravates me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was only two minutes of him saying, we could tell you, but we're not going to. <laughs> but this is, I guess, why we're discussing it. So but back, back to you, Dominic, about the uh, you had a, um, point about Soka you wanted to raise. Yeah, well, I wanted to to look at this this scene with ahsoka where she sees her future self and this is jumping back to the first episode a little bit um and i wonder how much of an impact this scene actually has on her because um you know older ahsoka mentions that you know seeds of the dark side are being planted within her by her master and that she may never see her future if she remains his apprentice and that I think knowing where season five goes and, and knowing that she walks away from the Jedi Order, more that more that statement seems to ring true more than ever because she leaves him. She's no longer his master. And as a result that she has a future. Because I believe that if she had have stayed as Anakin's apprentice when he turned to the dark side, that would have been the end for her. That he would have been, that she would have had to have been one of Vader's first tests. And you know, that could still turn out to be the case. Like, t- could still be something that we see in something down the line. But it seems that because perhaps, you know, this may have not been at the, at the top of her thought process when she made that decision to walk away, but perhaps it was something in her subconscious saying, maybe now is as good a time. Maybe now is the time that we should walk away from the Jedi Order. And so I'm curious what you guys think. Do you guys think that this encounter with her old her older self um is or played any role in her decision to walk away from the jedi order um chris i'll I'll throw it to you yeah i mean it it definitely must have and i think i think probably the main reason is the fact that she's seen that 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 the lines have been blurred between good and evil in this galactic wide conflict because she's seen the bonteries on the separatist side who seem like pretty good people and then she'd seen people like like Barasafi and kind of like the military industrial complex on in the Republic side and how how that can be corrupted and, and can can con- act to convict an innocent person of a crime they didn't commit. So she's seen the good and evil on both sides and she's making the decision to walk away from it all because she does it. She's not confident that that fighting for one side is going to bring about the best outcome. But I think that as far as her personal relationship goes with Anakin, I mean, that's got to be a fear that she has that. I mean, she no, I don't think very few people know Anakin better than Ahsoka. And I think I think if anyone's going to see, you know, his potential for turning, you know, to the dark side, it's going to be her. And so I think knowing that and seeing Anakin and then also having this experience in this vision where at least the seed was planted in her head that that could possibly negatively impact her as well. I mean, that's that's got to play a role in her decision to to walk away from Anakin rather than just saying to Anakin, we both need to leave together. I, I feel like if Anakin were like an Obi-Wan or a Qui-Gon, I don't think Ahsoka would have necessarily left her master. I think she'd 
would have gone to him and said, we need to get out. I need to get you out. Things are things are really bad. But <laughs> I think that the reason why she's leaving Anakin along with everyone else is because she feels he's he's either part of it or he's entrapped in, 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 in it and can't 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 leave unless he goes through some type of experience himself where his eyes are open to the whole thing. Yeah, and, and Anakin goes through a sort of the the uh, the ultimate opposite experience of of what you of what Ahsoka right. had. He makes sort of the uh, the opposite decision, and, and and I like what you said there. You know, it's a, that her leaving is sort of an amalgamation of all her all her experiences that we saw over the show, and I think that's what they were really striving for um, in that in that episode. Um, Kieran, what do you think about all this? Do you think um, this this had a an impact on Ahsoka's choice to leave? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this vision that Ahsoka had of her future self was something which was inculcated and just, it, it, it remained in the back of her mind throughout um, her time after the Mortis. A similar way how we discussed um, the surface of, of the fears that were inherent in Ahsoka when the son was able to manipulate it. This is something, again, which has been pushed to the back, but then has surfaced as a reaction to events which are taking place in the galaxy. And as Chris has alluded to, particularly that final arc there, where she sees the corruption of the Republic as as clearly as, as day, I guess. It's just so obvious and transparent to her that I need to get out of this. And I'm sure... Sh- sure that that vision of herself which who said be warned you may never see your future if you remain his student of course that's going to ring true to her and also just visually seeing what her potential could be surely in part of her, her mind would think this is i could emerge to be this grand master or at least she looks like a very powerful being um but she does look like she is certainly um, pushed onto more the light side of things anyway. And I think that her seeing that vision certainly played a massive role when it came to the decision time of deciding whether to stay or to go. And in that respect, that combined with obviously the experiences throughout the war, the experiences, as Chris has said, of seeing those good separatists, um, and even to an extent, the the blossoming or possible relationship with Lux, you know, all of these experiences coming together. And then when it comes to her ultimate choice of whether she should stay or go with the Jedi, um, with the Jedi, she decides to leave. And who knows? It may well have been the voice of her future self, not just self-consciously, subconsciously, but also manifesting itself. Um, at that particular point in her mind, which actually came out and said to her, um, you know, you should go, you should leave. And I wouldn't be surprised because we see when Anakin is obviously murdering those Tuscan raiders, we hear Qui-Gon's voice coming through the force. Yoda can hear it in a meditation chamber. Uh, who knows to say that that's something akin to that is happening in Ahsoka's mind when she's making her decision. And, as, as Chris has said, to finalise this point, um, she doesn't bring Anakin with her um, principally because she she thinks that he, it's too late. He he cannot be saying he's a part of this. I need to stay away from him. I need to get out of this for my own self. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting point you bring up, Karen, uh, about the voice of her future self. And of course, that's one question that a lot of people have asked about this arc is of, of the various visions that have happened. Like which one, like, like, for instance, the one with Shmi was revealed in the episode to be just the son, you know, disguising himself as her to Anakin. However, the Qui-Gon one, it appears that that's that is Qui-Gon there and that he's been able to be materialized visually just because he's in a place that is so strong with the force in a way that he wouldn't be able to do in, in the real world. And then with the one with Ahsoka, is that is that the son playing with Ahsoka's head or because or is is it is it like Qui-Gon? Because if if it's not the son, then that that has to be a person. And if it's a person, then why not? Ahsoka herself kind of like in a place that transcends time talking to a previous version of herself, which suggests that Ahsoka follows along the path of 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 Qui-Gon and Yoda and Obi-Wan and does retain some of her personality when she becomes one with the force. Well, I I, I, I agree and I disagree. I I, I don't think I agree in the sense that I don't think it's it's, you know, the sun or, or anybody controlling that vision but i also don't think that that's force ghost ahsoka i think that the, you know ahsoka wakes up after that vision which is unlike anakin or obi-wan anakin mm. is definitely awake obi-wan is definitely awake ahsoka wakes up she was asleep she was having a dream and you know it, it, dreams can be powerful we know that in the star wars galaxy that you know they you can see uh, the future and, and and the past and 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 the present even uh, in in your dreams and I think that Ahsoka was having this dream on this you know force augmented place and as a result you know her in her dreams her her future self comes to her that way and she's able to have sort of a, a conversation I don't think it's 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 necessarily force ghost Ahsoka but I, I do think it's you know perhaps it's the force connecting her with herself subconsciously connecting herself with her future self subconsciously i don't think anybody was actually there i think this was all in ahsoka's mind unlike I would, un- I would, unlike yeah unlike qui-gon where he was definitely there <laughs> sorry go ahead Kira. i would i would definitely concur with that and, and it's been evidenced in in season three in the episodes that we've seen that ahsoka has the power and ability similar i guess to quidlin boss and uh, a, a few distinguished jedi that she can see the future she has the ability to uh, prophesize and have premonitions which is what yoda was talking to uh, talking about uh, i can't even say it. what she was what he was talking to her about in the assassin episode and I, I, I definitely think that, as you said, Dominic, that it, it's just a vision of her future self and she's been able to, to break through or she's been able to, to see this vision because of this Force-sensitive planet. And I'm, and I'm thinking it might be something related to that cave as well because it, 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 it seems quite coincidental otherwise, the fact that both um, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are able to see Force-sensitive well, not necessarily visions. I think they're, they're, they're definitely different, but they're able to, I guess, visualize and, and see things that they wouldn't be able to see anywhere else in the galaxy. And I think that is entailed to maybe just the planet or that cave specifically. Yeah. And what's an interesting thing about this is, again, so many things in these episodes seem to be seem to be like um, exemplifications or or personifications or symbolism for other things in the Star Wars universe. Maybe there, there's these three encounters with 
with these three characters and they're all different. And maybe these are examples of the way that the force can be used to bring visions to people in just the, the normal universe. You have the dark side way of doing things, which is kind of by deception, which can, so you can make a parallel between the, the sun and pretending to be Schmidt and, and, and showing himself to Anakin. You can, you can make a parallel between that and the way that Palpatine tried to manipulate Yoda in the final arc by bringing a vision of, and controlling events around him. And then um, on top of that, you can then look at Ahsoka and her dream and see that as kind of like the way that Luke experienced visions, how it was he was seeing kind of what was already inside himself and his own fears manifesting themselves. And maybe that's her own fear that Anakin's yes. going to be on or doing manifesting herself. And then you have the, the something coming from after death, like with Qui-Gon being similar to how Obi-Wan interacted with Luke or who, how Qui-Gon interacted with Yoda. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you just, I think you just put what I was, what I was trying to say. And I think Karen was trying to say into uh, a very eloquent terms there. I absolutely agree. A hundred percent with what you said. Just to, just to interject there as well. The last thing I wanted to say is this could be opening a can of worms here in itself, but obviously we've seen how the dark side is able to manipulate visions, but also how, light side well not necessarily light side visions but visions of the future and and, and how Qui-Gon was able to surface but do you guys think then after particularly seeing this arc that the visions Anakin has in episode three are premonitions or manipulations of constructed and, and orchestrated by Palpatine the, the visions that Anakin has in episode three those are to, to me uh, those of, are of Padme, of Padme yeah, I mean. of Padme yeah those are those are totally uh premonitions those are premonitions and the thing about premonitions it's all about how you interpret them and, and if you choose to act on them and how you go about acting on them because what anakin saw was essentially a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because he tried to avoid it and he caused it so it, it's all about knowing the situation and, and knowing whether you should intervene there are times obviously when you when you should intervene like when ahsoka had her visions about or Singh killing padme but i think with anakin it was a time when he shouldn't intervene. And as it was perhaps with Luke in episode five, uh, you know, Yoda seems to think this was a time when he should just uh, ignore the visions or, or maybe not ignore the visions, but not act on them. Yeah, uh, because... I, I have an answer to that. And it's not about intervening or not intervening. It's about the way that you do it, because you can just take Anakin and Luke and compare them to each other. They both saw these visions. Uh, Anakin saw his 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 mother being tortured and his wife dying and luke saw his friends on cloud city being captured by darth vader and maybe he saw han getting tortured and other things like that we don't exactly know but it was heavily inferred that's what he saw and look at the two ways that they reacted to that anakin wanted to not actively go and prevent these things he wanted to prevent these things by changing himself by becoming so powerful that he then could automatically stop people from dying. Whereas Luke, instead of staying with Yoda and making himself more powerful selfishly so that he can control things, immediately left Yoda, left 
his his own quest for you know becoming stronger in the force and just as is as he was then went and faced vader in order to attempt to rescue his friends and that's the main difference so it's the difference between seeing things and then trying to 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 use that as an impetus to gain more power and to become almost more selfish versus doing something selfless and sacrificing yourself for the people you love yeah i, I that's a that's a, a a great read on it i, I think uh, you know doing you know sacrificing yeah yeah i, I that's definitely a, an interesting interesting way of looking at it i i do want to move on um because I, I we are on a little bit of a time crunch so i want to talk about um the end of uh the second episode altar of mortis uh where the daughter through anakin is able to bring back ahsoka from death and this is intriguing to me this is intriguing to me because we know that anakin wants to in episode three part of his drive is to be able to stop people from dying and you know he seems now he knows this power exists he doesn't know how to achieve it and so he goes to palpatine to try and achieve it or palpatine manipulates him to, to thinking that he knows how to achieve this power and it is it's very interesting you know there's that whole idea that you know the reason that there are no sith force ghosts and why um you know the darth revan and darth bane scene was cut from this arc is that you know the dark side cannot exist after death for the sith the de death is the worst thing possible because that means it's the end for the jedi they know that becoming one with the force is just a step to the next thing whatever that might be whether that's coming back as a force ghost like obi-wan and, and yoda or whatever um, so for the Jedi, dying isn't as big a deal, but the jet. But we see here that basically pure light side force can bring someone back from the dead, and that's a very interesting precedent to set, especially in this era of so much new Star Wars coming down the pipe. Is this just a one-time thing that this is something that only could be achieved under these exact circumstances? Or is this a power that's out there that is just waiting to be tapped into by the right person, whether that's Luke Skywalker or someone else? So, did you want to clarify on – you asking us about the power to bring back someone from the dead, yes. um, whether that is possible whether, yes. or, or whether it's just based on these circumstances that we've seen. Yeah. Um, I, uh, again, that's going to be something that's very interesting to see if they explore. Um and whether they might be able to bring someone back from the dead. But we, I mean, it's inferred and implied that Anakin was conceived through midichlorians. He wasn't naturally created through birth. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, there, there may be a possibility of being able to, to bring someone back from the dead uh, akin to the, to the force ghost. Um, and we've seen how the force works in mysterious ways, particularly with the, the night sister magic, as we see they're able to somehow bring those dead night sisters in those catacombs. Yeah, I don't like that. Catacombs. <laughs> I, I know, but I'm citing that as my point, <laughs> my example. Um, when they come back from the dead, they're, they're, they're resurrected. Um, of course, this is on the basis that the night sister magic, of course, is a representation and an embodiment of the force. But I, 
I'm, I'd like to think that it is possible, and if they do, then that's certainly an avenue that they they must and, and certainly will explore in, in episodes seven, eight, and nine that are to come. I, I I think that it shouldn't just be confined and constrained to a specific point in time. It should be based upon just a power of the force, uh, a manifestation of the force. And if it can be done in this particular time period, then who's to say that it shouldn't be able to be complete, accomplished in the later periods or earlier periods, but we just may not have, have heard about it. I, that's just a thought in my mind. Um, mm. Chris, do you have uh, any thoughts? Well, a, a few things here. First of all, I don't think we should look at the physics and actual literal events that happened on Mortis and extrapolate them out um, directly to the real world and say, well, if it can happen on Mortis, then it can happen on the real world. I, I don't think – because I think that th- this whole arc is – it's so symbolic and it just I, I don't think that makes sense to do that. So just because but she was literally dead. I mean, that's that's the right. thing. Her eyes had rolled back into her head. She was she was dead and she, she came back to life. This to me transcends symbolicness into this literally happened. So and should uh, there be that, a literal if, explanation if, for if, it? And maybe just the literal explanation for that is because this is all happening in a place that transcends reality then maybe that's why it's possible and that's what i would say if that were the case but then just bring talking about just life and death and the ability to to bring it's either create life or bring things back to life in the actual universe um there's i think palpatine told anakin that 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 at some point um his master had the ability to manipulate the midi chlorians to control life and death. Mm-hmm. And but of course we didn't really see any proof of that at any point, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. I, I don't. I that may have just been Palpatine manipulating Anakin there, and that that wasn't actually the truth. That was a a, a, twi- a twisting of the truth, which of course is something that 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 is very in- inherent to the Sith, and that's their mo to twist the truth and manipulate people. So there's that. But then also speaking to the the zombies and the Night Sisters, um, I think when a situation like that happens, it's not bringing a body back to life. It's just it's it, it, it's stimulating the body. Um, if any of our listeners have seen the recent film um, Prometheus, there's this very disturbing scene when the, the, the um, astronauts find an alien head. And then they stimulate the alien head with electricity. They stimulate the the, the nerve stem to um, create facial expressions, and it looks like the head in a lab is like shouting and yelling and making actual facial expressions, like it's alive. When it's obvious that it's dead, just because it's being stimulated. And uh, there's a, I believe there's a bug in um in in our world that can kind of stick something into another bug and kind of control it its movement slightly by kind of stimulating its brain with with the movement of that apparatus so there's way there's ways to kind of like control or or simulate life in a body without actually bringing it back to life or or creating consciousness imagine just interject for a second You've convinced me on the zombies. I've changed my mind. You, you, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Well, points, why, points to that, you. Points that, that's to you. why <laughs> I thought it would be important to say that to bring kind of science into it. So that's that explains that um, part away. So uh, saying, having said all these things, I don't think there's any evidence that consciousness, conscious life, 
can be either created or brought back to life in the actual Star Wars universe. Yeah, which which is which is what I meant on mm. the top there by you know is it unique to these circumstances? And I and I, I I do definitely believe that it is unique to these circumstances. That outside of somewhere like Mortis, this is not possible. And perhaps you know perhaps you know somebody could plot for a future Star Wars thing could be somebody trying to reach somewhere where it is possible again, whether it's that planet that Yoda goes to in, in the season six or what have you. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the ending of this arc and the end of ghosts of Mortis, because I, I found this really interesting that ultimately the way to defeat the sun was to trick him and betray him. And in that moment there where, you know, the son says, you've betrayed me. It's, it's kind of right. You know, the father, you know, s- stabs himself. He sacrifices himself. And in that moment, it almost seems as though the son is ready to convert back to the light side. And maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe this is maybe my reading of this is, is completely off. But he, he seems to uh, present sorrow. He seems to be upset. And then and he gets, you know, when he goes for the hug with the father and then Anakin sticks the lightsaber through his back. It almost seemed like a, a again a very dark way to end this this arc, that the only way to defeat the dark side was to trick it, and it, it it's it's an it's an interesting message for Anakin to take with him into the future, that this is how, you know this is how the dark side works essentially that was a very you know. The the mas- the the apprentice killing the master was almost a rule of two kind of moment there. Um, so I'm curious, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Chris, because uh, I, I do know you're you're looking to to go in a few minutes. Um, uh, what do you, what did you think of that ending? What did you think of how that played out? Um, like everything that you guys have been mentioning, this is another parallel I feel to the Star Wars films, um, where you have Vader defeating defeating his master by betraying and tricking him. I mean, that's basically how that went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's just a parallel that you see there. And I think that one way that, that the light side does triumph is through cunning. I, 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 and so, um, like, for instance, look at Obi-Wan. I mean, Obi-Wan is, is the master of outsmarting his opponent. And I think this is a situation where, you know, the heroes outsmarted the villains, and that's how they won, because typically the villains are the ones that have the most power because they're all about power. They're all about being as powerful as possible and getting things done by brute force and control and manipulation. The answer to that is being more intelligent, and that's really the only <laughs> way that you can win. And so I think that's that it's both parallels. There's parallels to um, the, the story of Anakin, and, and, there, and then there are also greater truths in there as well. And then... Um, Speaking to, let's see, there was another point that you made before that, but then I, I got lost in <laughs> in the fir- in the first point. But well, what, I, oh, what was the other point that you had made there, well, or an observation? Well, I was saying that this was a very kind oh, of dark oh, I side. Remembered, I remembered it. Oh, yeah, I remember it. it. You had said that it was interesting that the sun was sorrowful, mm-hmm. and you you said it looked like he was almost going to turn back to the light side, and I I think that. That that sorrow and loss is is a feeling that fits very well with the dark side because again the dark side is about selfishness and 
a lot of times when you're feeling selfish, you're just taking your own sorrow and you're amplifying it and focusing on it. And so I think that the fact that the son was sad did not show necessarily weakness or a light side trait or side to him because I think that's something that exists inside the dark side and is an important part to the psyche of someone who's being controlled by the dark side. Well, definitely. I, I do think, though, that part of being on the light side is, is being able to accept and, and deal with those with those feelings of sorrow in a way that isn't oh, going to the dark side. And it seemed to me in that moment that he was on – he had sort of made his way back to the fence and was sort of teetering there as if he could – fall completely into the dark side and just go back to what he was doing or there was a chance that he would you know uh go back to the light and part of what i always loved about star wars and and this and the original trilogy is the idea of the second chance for vader that vader gets the second chance to come back and luke gives him that chance and that is ultimately what saves the galaxy and perhaps this is just uh the way the jedi are in this era or maybe it has something to do with Anakin, or maybe it's the, I, I don't know. It just seemed that, you know, if it had been Luke Skywalker there instead of Anakin Skywalker, he would have given him, given the son the chance to make up for what he'd done. And instead they stick the, sto- the sword through his back and and they're done with that. And it, it seemed to me to be a, a kind of a, a dark ending and, and really indicative of this era and that this is the way that, that, this is the way things are in this era, and this is this is the way Anakin is, and you know this is why Anakin ultimately I'll, falls. I'll just quickly add to that that I think the relationship between Anakin and the son is closer to the relationship between Luke and the Emperor versus Luke and and Vader, and I think that's why that happened. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I I, I completely see that. Although I I, I still think the. If, if, I don't know. It still felt like a, a very dark ending to me. But so, Kieran, I'll, I'll ask you, what what did you think of the ending? It was very, very interesting, fascinating, and I've really been eagerly listening to your points there. And absolutely fascinating thoughts that you guys have raised there. I I think that, that the father himself. Um, I, I was a little. I mean, we're talking about it now, but even. I'm still a little bit confused about that whole scene ending there because ultimately uh, the father stabbed himself with, the, with that blade, which I thought was what had to be used to kill the son. So the father stabbed himself with it, and then I was under the impression that that drained the power of the son. That that was the purpose of it. He killed the father, and there was a part of the son which was attached. I, I don't know how how it how it was the case but somehow uh, their power was intertwined and so with father dying the son's power was beginning to sap and i i I think that rather than sorrowful for his father i i interpreted it more as the fact that he was upset that he had done this because ultimately the son is a selfish being and he was uh, irritated and, and, and upset more at the fact that he was losing his power and then that's what enabled Anakin to stab him in the back because we've obviously seen that the father was able to actually manipulate the lightsaber so that it wouldn't actually harm him. It was just something which he could grab and then uh, deactivate as akin to overlords with Anakin's lightsaber. And again, that's open to interpretation there. Or you could argue as well that what you guys have been saying, that actually um, 
uh, as we said that uh, or Yoda has said fear of loss is a path to the dark side perhaps this was an inherent fear in the son the, the fear of losing his father if he did have any real attachment to him then when he has lost him he just outbreaks in emotion and we know well with Anakin he is a very emotional being um, and that's that fuels much of his his anguish his fears um, obviously loss of Padme so I wonder if that's perhaps in perhaps an inherent quality, but I don't know if I want to say the sun is turning back to the light because ultimately I believe that he is a personification and an exemplification of the dark side. Um, although, as we've said, <laughs> as a, again, I'm, I'm kind of just rambling, it seems here, but um, as you guys have said, there's a little bit of the light side inherent in um, in an individual but whether that is reflective of something which is supposed to exemplify pure evil like palpatine that remains to be seen so again that's me kind of throwing ideas out into the fire there i i, I have been sitting on a fence a lot because i find it very difficult to interpret but there's, there's so many different arguments to this yeah that, that's a, that's an interesting idea that the sun is 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 holding on to this uh, self is this selfish idea that he only wants the father alive so that he can uh, have his power. Although the thing that I would say in response to that is that the the son wanted to kill the father at the beginning. So I, I do think that the son could exist without the father, and, and and he seemed to think he could at the beginning as well. And and just to go back to to, to um, your point a second ago, Chris, about uh, you know the relationship between Anakin and the son being more uh, Luke and uh, Palpatine, I would say uh, this occurred to me as Karen was talking that you know the, the the relationship between the father and the son is is more Luke and Vader, right down to their names, father and son, and the fact that the father is is seems to be in on on this trap more so than Anakin being the one to kill him. Um, I think is what kind of got to me about the ending and and i don't dislike the ending that i don't want this to come across as i don't like the ending i i do i just found it very dark and in an interesting way to to end this arc and i think that's a, a good place to wrap it up for this episode um we'll do uh favorite we'll do favorite quotes really quickly um kieran why don't you go first uh favorite quote from this arc Okay, I'm going to go with a Qui-Gon one uh, because just Qui-Gon appearing is absolutely awesome in these episodes. Um, I'm going to go with the one in Overlords where he says that he's a conduit from which the, the entire force of the universe flows. And Obi-Wan says, are we in danger? And he says, this, uh, this planet is an amplifier um, and a magnet. Um, and he believes that Anakin is the chosen one. So I think that just just to hear Qui-Gon with Liam Neeson's voice, which when we come on to Final Thoughts is something which I was really, really delighted about. That's why it stood out for me. It was it was just great to see him back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Chris, do you have a, a favorite quote from this arc? Um, not necessarily a favorite one, although I really, I really like the thing where he says that Qui Gon says this is a dangerous place just because it, we put it in our podcast. Yes, we put it in the <laughs> <podcast>. <laughs> great, Classic. it's great. It's great seeing 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 them getting Liam back. I mean, we haven't said much about about him, but it definitely that added so much weight to these episodes. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And for me, uh, I'll go with a funny one. Um, when, from the beginning of. 
the final episode when Ahsoka says, you want the bad news or the really bad news? And Obi-Wan says, how about the bad news laced with a bit of optimism? And yes. Just a classic Obi-Wan isn't there. All right. So that will wrap it up. Let's do final thoughts and score out of 10. Uh, Chris, since you're the guest, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts and score out of 10 for this arc? 10 out of 10. This is one of my favorite arcs of the series. It's right up there with the, the final arc, the Yoda arc, as I, I would say they're probably tied for my for my favorite. Th- this was the arc that when I saw this, I felt like it was the first time that this show actually transcended the films in a lot of ways. I think we, we look at every episode and we compare it to everything else with the long history and legacy of star wars and say you know is this does this hold up and i think a lot of times it does sometimes there's there's tea episodes and it doesn't (laughs) um but this is one of those episodes where you know if you're just a fan of the films and you're not really like the clone wars isn't your cup of tea no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> this is still an arc that's worth watching because of how interesting it is and how it how it adds to your experience and expands your experience of the films themselves. So, I mean, huge props to George Lucas for conceiving the idea and Christian Taylor for executing it so well in the writing and then everyone else at, in, in the crew and creating these, these amazing episodes because this is definitely one of the um, high points and highlights of this series and... Uh, you just, I mean, again, we're talking about it years later, and we could continue talking about it for years to come. And I'm sure our prote- perceptions will change as we see the sequel films as well, and we may have to revisit these again and and look at the parallels between these and the sequel films. Because, I mean, we know that, that, that at least the concept for those are coming from the same mind, George Lucas, as the concept for these, and there may be parallels that we have yet to even imagine. So I think that's absolutely amazing. And again, it, this is a microcosm of Star Wars, story-wise, and a micro, microcosm of what I love about Star Wars, just um, overall. Absolutely. And, and Chris, is there anything you would like to plug? I know you're constantly, uh, I've got about 10,000 projects on the go. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug at the end um, of the episode? new new project um i'm running two new instagram accounts one is called best star wars memes and it's just funny images and then the other one is called star wars episode seven news with the seven being roman numerals and uh yeah we already have a few thousand people on each one so uh thank you to everybody who has followed us and uh hopefully those numbers will grow because uh it's 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 kind of a new frontier instagram and uh after spending so much time building up facebook and twitter it's it's kind of fun to go onto a newer social media site and find all the the star wars fans there so uh, join us it's 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 a lot of fun all right thank you so much chris and uh kieran final thoughts and square out of ten. Final, final thoughts there are, there there is so much that that we've gone through in this art but there's also so much that we have, haven't even discussed that there's there is just an incredible amount of just fantastic fantastic uh, visuals animation and story that has been provided to us here we up i mean obviously one of the key moments that i think as it is certainly worth of, of alluding to is the vision that anakin sees of himself the future anakin self and he sees that all the terrible things that he will then enact whether it's um fighting obi-wan choking padme and the death star blowing 
that border run. They were just incredible. It's it just absolutely fantastic to allude to those future films. And ultimately, I have to say that this arc definitely deserves a 10 out of 10 rating. To echo much what Chris has said already, I give credit to George Lucas, exact, who, who conceived this arc precisely. And I think that uh, Dave Filoni as well, he deserves a lot of credit, and uh, Christian Taylor for, for working so hard to execute this. And the whole team who worked behind this, I think that's the, that's the other disappointment without having the, a full featurette on these episodes, is that we didn't really get to glean into any of the behind the scenes. And that means that we don't necessarily get to see everyone who worked on this, because I sure would like to shake their hand in person and say... This was a phenomenal, phenomenal spectacle and arc that you have created here. So that there's no other other value than I can give a 10 out of 10. And, and ultimately, the fact that this actually managed to well, at least equal, if not trump, the Night Sisters arc, which at this time was the best arc I've seen on the Clone Wars. Well, bravo, bravo, Clone Wars team, bravo. And over to you, Dominic, for your final thoughts. Final thoughts, yes. Well, I, I can't help but echo what you guys said about the phenomenal, phenomenal work from, from from the team. Christian Taylor, George Lucas, Dave Filoni, everybody who worked on this arc. also want to give shout-out to Kevin Kiner. Phenomenal, phenomenal music. Great use of the John Williams themes. Not too much, but they were there in the poignant moments, like when Ahsoka was being brought back to life, or when they were in the well of the dark side. You could hear just hints of Battle of the Heroes in there from Episode 3. It was really well done plus all of the phenomenal new music that was written for this arc and 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 kevin kiner does that so well and kind of wish he'd do a little bit more of it on rebels um but hopefully he'll get there uh, as that series progresses uh, but we're not talking about rebels we're talking about this so much cool stuff they were able to bring back liam neeson and pernilla august i believe that's her name um from episode one that was really cool to see really solidifying their importance in the star wars saga as a whole and just so much cool stuff so much great action so many great visuals so many great questions that have been raised and we will continue to talk about this and i'm sure when we get to that yoda arc at the end of the end of season six we'll have even more to talk about with this and how this relates to that and it's just so much fun so i will give this this arc a 10 out of 10 as well that's right another 30 out of 30 for this arc uh, continuing the trend that the Night Sisters last uh, started up last week. Now the question is, can it continue into the into next into the next show where we deal with the Citadel trilogy? I have a feeling it could. It it all depends on uh on what what everybody else thinks though. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. Um, thank you for sticking with us with us as we took uh, three weeks off there. Um, but you know sometimes that's just the way things are when. Uh, you know that's just the way it worked out this time but we'll be back to our regular every other Tuesday schedule so we'll be back in two weeks talking like I said the Citadel Trilogy another great arc looking, looking forward to talking about that uh, you can email us you can send us an email clonewarsstrikesback at gmail.com you can send us your email or send us your email thoughts I don't know what that means send us your thoughts on this arc or the or the next one, or the previous one, or anything Clone Wars you would like to talk about. Um, be sure to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back, or just search the Clone Wars Strikes Back. Uh, we post stuff, I think, every day. Um, usually more than once a day. 
Um, so if you want to keep the Clone Wars in your newsfeed, that's a great way to do it. Um, also, be sure to follow us at TCW Strikes Back on Twitter. Um, you follow me personally at DominicJ25. You follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Follow Chris at CTerra5. And uh, be sure to follow those Instagram accounts that um, Chris was mentioning. And uh, hey, if you want, you follow us on Instagram as well. We don't have a Clone Wars Strikes Back, but I think it's for me and Kieran personally, it's the same uh, as our Twitter handles. Although I never post anything on Instagram. So um, <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, Kieran, what's coming up on Expression FM this week? Oh, it's been an absolute jam-packed weekend, as always, with Expression FM, and uh, we've had a number of shows. We had the Saturday Sporting Show, at, that's on Saturdays, 11am till 2pm UK time, and the Sunday Sporting Brunch, which uh, delves into the paper talk of the Sunday morning, which is at 10am until 11am UK time. I know for most people who are listening in America and Canada, that's probably about 5 or 6 in the morning, so if you get up that time for work, then then tune into Expression FM but there's so much sporting news football uh, tennis rugby cricket you name it and even NFL NFL obviously an American sport has been played at Wembley recently so we'll definitely be getting involved in that uh, so definitely listen in guys uh, to listen in all you have to do is go on www.expression.fm that's the, that's the place to listen to um, I would I would say that you could tune in to 87.7 on your radio stations but you kind of need to be in the vicinity of Exeter <laughs> so if you want to travel all the way via plane to Exeter then feel free to but if not go online and listen and two other ways to get in contact facebook page which is www.facebook.com slash expression fm and our twitter handle at expression fm follow that and you'll hear all the latest news and all the latest latest breaking news um so that's my plug for expression dominic i'm sure you've got your own podcast support plug as well <laughs> yes yes be sure to listen to this star wars underworld podcast each and every week it's recorded live thursdays at 9 p.m eastern and then released on itunes on friday and on our website and it's the same uh, rss feed slash itunes feed as this show so if you subscribe to the to the star wars underworld podcast itunes feed it's a two for one you get this show and you get that show it's great stuff it's me and chris and our friend ben breaking down the latest star wars news rumors and of course we discuss each and every Rebels episode there. Kieran, we'll have to have you on to talk some Rebels pretty soon. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see when that will be. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's uh, Thursdays. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that's uh, Thursdays at 9 uh, p.m. Eastern or Friday or or anytime on iTunes. And uh, between shows, be sure to hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, uh, whether that's about uh, new Clone Wars stories coming out in a comic or novel or story reveal form or Episode 7, Rebels, Battlefront, everything is happening there. And uh, be sure to keep your eyes peeled there over the next uh, two, maybe three weeks. You'll be seeing my review of the Season 6 uh, Blu-ray box set coming up um pretty soon so thank you everybody for listening and may the force be with you